there, good afternoon. Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. Shortly after the turn of the century, a new style of atheism started to gain popularity. And popularity is the right term. It rode upon a wave of a kind of popularist narrative, dubbed the new atheism and championed by figures such as Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. This position asserted that religion was actually harmful to society and was not to be merely tolerated. It should be eradicated, especially given the fact that we are in this new era in the development of human history. But this new atheism not only cannot answer the basic questions of why we are here, it also cannot give a sound framework for how we ought to live. We talk more about this with Dr. Rick Clements. Dr. Rick Clements writes and speaks about topics related to the Catholic faith, spirituality, personal growth, parenting, and culture. He's the author of two books, The Meaning of the World is Love, selected text from Hans Urs from Balthazar with commentary, and The Book of Love, Brief Meditations. He has a PhD with, in clinical psychology from Purdue University and a certificate in lay ecclesial ministry from the Catholic Diocese of Gary. He's a former college professor, having taught psychology at Ball State University, Valparaiso University, and Indiana University Northwest. And when he's not busy writing or giving presentations, he enjoys reading, traveling, music, and cooking. Rick, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Marcus? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. And I'm really glad that you decided to engage this whole reality of evangelizing lapsed atheists. For those of you interested, the article can be found on wordonfire.org, Evangelizing Lapsed Atheists. So I want to ask you, why did you feel the need to respond to Constantine, uh, gosh, what's, uh, how do you pronounce it? Uh, Kin- Kissin. Yeah, Constantine. Kissin, I believe it is. Yeah, Kissin. Yeah, Constantine Kissin. Why did you feel yeah. the need to respond to him? Yeah, you know, Marcus, his article that he wrote online caught my attention. Uh, he referred to himself as a lapsed atheist, and mm-hmm. I thought that was a you know a rather uh, interesting term. And so I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you know kind of where he was at in his thinking on religion. So in his article, he uh, said that for a while he was a big fan of the new atheists uh, to whom you referred. Uh, in the introduction, but that he had found himself um, beginning to disagree with them. And I was interested in his article, especially because I thought it might give us some insights into how we might go about evangelizing people who uh, claim to be atheists or who are sort of on the the, the fence with regard to their opinions of religion. So uh, I looked at his article to see what his reasons uh, were that he gave for uh, finding himself no longer in agreement with the new atheists. And uh, there were a few different reasons he mentioned, but I think for the sake of our discussion, the, the three most important ones were that uh, he said that he started to diverge with the new atheists when they went from claiming that religion is quote-unquote untrue mm-hmm. to a more extreme position saying religion is inherently bad. That's right. And so that's where he kind of diverged paths with them and uh, found himself, you know, no longer agreeing with uh, much of what the new atheists were saying. Right. So Kizan, in fact, uh, very overtly points out in his article that uh, not only is religion not bad for society, it's inevitable. So he's willing to acknowledge yeah. that there's some kind of, a, first of all, there's some, some kind of a non-negotiable reality to the fact that religion provides some kind of a systematic order towards the flourishing of society. But but yeah. more than that, that there's some kind of uh, 
permanent to the presence of religion. It, it, it's not going away because it really does allow for human flourishing. Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, when he says, Kizan says he feels religion is useful, uh, he, he's referring to a couple of really important issues, one of which is that he came to see over time that religion provides a necessary moral foundation for civilized society. Mm -hmm. Even though he himself claims to still not be a religious believer, he sees more clearly now that society cannot function and, and be sustained over the long run without the moral foundation that religion provides. Right. It provides a moral framework that we really cannot establish on a sound basis without there being um, a source for that moral law outside of ourselves. That's right. Uh, he, you know, he cites people like Dostoevsky and Nietzsche who said, if there's no God, then we basically can do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And obviously that sort of uh, license is, is no basis for a civilized society. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people know the first line of Nietzsche's quote, God is dead and we have killed him. But what they don't understand is that when Nietzsche, when Nietzsche wrote that, he wrote that as a kind of observation to what was to come. And the prediction was that the centuries to follow, the 20th and 21st centuries, would be the bloodiest in human history. Because if we have killed God by our own doing through philosophical reasoning and, and empiricist worldview, in, in, Nietzsche's case, in Nietzsche's case, nihilistic worldview, then we lose sight of the dignity of the human person at large. Because when, when you remove that, all you have is the evolutionary principle. We care about human beings because it's ingrained in us, but uh, it really doesn't matter. There's no absolute value to it. And in a lot of ways, he was right. And you yeah. highlight this. You know, totalitarian regimes that have cast God out of the picture eradicate human persons. That is, yes, you, you are right on target with that. Nietzsche did foresee this. He said that, you know, in the absence of religion, in the absence of God, life kind of devolves into an amoral struggle of power. Mm -hmm. And we saw that with uh, dictators like uh, Stalin and mm -hmm. Hitler, mm -hmm. uh, where the dignity of the person is lost with, without a religious framework. And, and uh, people, especially political leaders, feel they can do whatever is necessary to maintain and extend their power, including, uh, you know, the, the killing of their enemies. You know, Svetlana Stalin, uh, Joseph's daughter, she she testifies that she was at her father's deathbed. And this is one of those narratives that d doesn't make the waves as much as we would like it to. She she said that his last act before breathing his last was to raise a fist in, in kind of indignant fury toward the divine. He raised a fist upward to heaven, and then that was it. It was a revolt to the end. And Svetlana said, I, I remember seeing that and, and realizing that my father had been fighting against God all along. Yeah, and you know, I think that that is true for uh, many atheists, that their resistance to God, their denial of God, uh, for at least some of them, comes from this sort of anger against mm -hmm. God. And a, a, a sort of rebellion against God. Um, I, I recently read a book by Peter Hitchens, who you know is Christopher Hitchens' brother, mm -hmm. Christopher, the, the famous new atheist. And, yep. You know, Peter uh, saw in his brother uh, Christopher this this sort of rage against God, and and even in his own life before he uh, himself, Peter Hitchens, converted to being a Christian, uh, reported that he too felt a lot of this anger. And so I, I do think that. Um, 
at least some of the atheism that is out there is this sort of rebellion against God and rebellion against the moral law and a, a rebellion of, against what they see as a restriction on their freedom. That's right. Uh, if, if, if God exists, then they feel, uh, you know, Sartre said that. If God exists, then I can't be free. Right. I, I, in the first hour, I quoted Romanus, Father Romanus Cesario in his book, uh, Introduction to Moral Theology. And in the introduction of that book, he, he writes that man is only truly free when he subjects himself to laws that, that, that have been put in place, natural law and divinely revealed law. And that dichotomy is, in fact, where man finds his truest freedom. A man isn't free in violating laws. Freedom is the right to live as we ought, not to do as we want. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's so prevalent in our society these days that people see freedom as being total autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, the complete ability to do whatever they desire. And, you know, uh, as you just said, actually genuine human freedom lies in uh, obedience to the moral law, obedience to God's law, and, and it's not, you know, God didn't give us the commandments to be restrictive and, and demanding and, and so on. It's, it's so that we might flourish, and, and that flourishing includes the freedom that comes with uh, obedience to the moral law. Yep. Going back to people like Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens, for the most part, the kind of worldview they employ in their popularist uh, notion of the new atheism is is a Darwinian worldview, this kind of evolutionary principle, which fine and well if you want to hold to that principle, but you have to understand the moral ramifications. You think about people like James Rachels, who wrote the book The Moral Implications of Darwinianism, and the fact is the, the Darwinian premise posits that there is no moral onus for anything other than the evolutionary narrative. So Dawkins has gone on record and said that even acts like rape, I feel it's wrong because of the evolutionary reality, but that's pretty much it. And when I overcome the evolutionary reality, is it really morally wrong? Because you can't argue for for an objective moral reality. And the applied ramifications of of, of Dawkins' statement at the societal level is really what we're seeing today. Oh yes, it, it it totally erodes you know any sort of foundation for uh, a, a peaceful society. Uh, you know, we you, you take the idea of human rights, and we talked briefly about the dignity of the person. And if you throw those concepts out the window, which by the way, that's something that uh, Kizan cited in his article that you know turned him against the atheists, is that the concept of human rights itself that is so you know bandied about these days and and frankly used and abused uh, from the standpoint of things like so-called abortion rights that ha- that concept of human rights has its origins in the judeo-christian tradition of course mm-hmm. all people created in the image and likeness of god and so that that radical evolutionary perspective does not provide any real genuine basis for the respect of the dignity of the human person. So in other words... Once again, it, can, it comes down again to, to power, to raw power. Right. So in other words, Frank Turek makes the same case in Stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case, that atheists, if they want to argue for some kind of objective system of ethics to govern society, have to steal from an, obje- from an absolute source of power that's beyond themselves. They have to mm-hmm. appeal to a God without appealing to a God. Yes, that's right. And, you know, that's the paradox. That, that's the sort of trap they're in if you know i think if we can have a reasonable discussion with someone who has that position and they're open to discussion that's a way that we can hopefully help them see 
the weakness of the atheist position when it comes to talking about the moral law. Mm-hmm. There really is no sound foundation outside of a religious framework for arguing for morality. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a big uh, weakness of the, the atheist position. I want to thank you, Rick, for coming on the program today. We've been talking about uh, Dr. Rick Clement's article, Evangelizing Lapsed Atheists, on wordonfire.org. This was a delightful conversation, Rick, and I'd love to talk to you in the future as well. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.